Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, young Lee. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. My name's Joe Barlow. Glad to be here. Man, Cook. I, you know, it. I, I'm amazed. It, I would have never thought that COVID would have had some of the benefits it has had. But to tune in last week remotely, that's uh, twice this year already I've had to do that. I was on the, I was on the coast working, uh, got up and was able to listen as I was driving to a job, and it was great. It was great. It was almost like being here. You were here but not here. I was here but not here. So, yeah, if you look on the sign-in sheet, if you happen to happen to tune in online, instead of getting an X by your name on the, on the roster, you get an O by your name. Not, not omitted, but online. Online. Lee, would you mind asking them to step in, please? Thank you. Guys, I, so this morning in, in thinking about that, we don't, we don't recognize the leadership team of Roundtable often enough, and that's, that's on me, and I should do that. But I was thinking about it this morning. Jeff Cook and Jeff Stout do an absolutely amazing job of organizing the files and keeping up with what's going on here and doing this kind of production. Don't, don't want to say it's a production, but it is. And they're assisted by Mark Griffin as well, and that, and that really helps. And then there's another guy, Chris Kelly, who's not here. Um, he, he tunes in later, listens to it online. Uh, podcast. I didn't know that it was on Spotify, but you can get the podcast on Spotify. Chris Kelly does the worksheet every week. Yeah. Phil sends him like six pages of gobbledygook, and somehow <laughs> or another he condenses it most of the time into two sheets and does a great job. And he is not here on Thursday mornings, but he has faithfully done that for years now. Uh, and so I, I just want to recognize him. Forrest Ashworth, who is not on the leadership team anymore, but Forrest uh, kept up with the roster for years, uh, and he has found other responsibilities in his own private business, and is not able to, to take that on. So, Ron is doing that now, and so uh, Ron uh, I, Tisdale. I want to be sure that Ron is recognized, and, and he is the one that keeps up with the roster. He's the one that gets us uh, the list and the rest of the guys on the leadership team. Let me run down the list right quick. Uh, Ashley Abraham. Chris Cotton, Chuck McBride, Clay Perry, uh, Forrest Ashworth already mentioned, Jack Page, Jeff Cook, Jeff Stout, Lee Winborn, Mark Griffin, uh, Phil Dixon, Ron Hunter, Steel Deemer, Tony Tharp. Guys, that's the backbone that makes this thing work. It's what keeps us uh, organized and together. With that, if the leadership guys, if those that announced, if you would, please stand up. And the coffee guys, come up front because y'all get special recognition. Come on up, coffee guys. Clay, Tony, Ron, come on up. No, 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 right here, right here. Come in. Come on, Lee, Jeff, and Jeff, come on up here. Suckered you right into this. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, suckered you right into <laughs> yeah, you did, you, All of us trying to hang back. Yeah. back yeah. The coffee guys are special guys. But yeah. this guy, Ron, is a more special guy. Yeah. Ron uh, took on the responsibility of doing the roster and uh, not at the time knowing that he was facing some medical challenges, uh, was dealing with. Um, Mother-in-law, I believe. Mother, mother, mother. 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 Ninety-five. Yep. Ninety-five. 95 um, lost her recently, and then discovered that. Uh, no. 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 Got her into assisted living. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, she's still. She's ninety-six in about three weeks. Trying to bury her already. Oh. If you would edit that out, please. Please. I'm as nervous as Ron is. Yeah. So Ron was diagnosed recently with uh, prostate cancer. Pancreas. Go ahead, Ron. I'm just going to put my arm right here. I'll let you leave. Just read the teleprompter. This is good. This is my. My name is Joe Biden, and I'm looking. Welcome, welcome to Rolling Stone, Mississippi. Sure are cute. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Ron is facing this challenge um, head on, and he and I've had a couple of quiet conversations, uh, and I know that he appreciates your prayers and your support, and I'm going to speak on his behalf about something I think is true. Uh, we talked a little bit about Max Tullis, who sat in this chair that I sit in uh, when he was facing his cancer battle. And Max, Max told me one of the one of the greatest things that he that he wished for during that battle was that people would just treat him as a normal person, mm. just treat me as I'm a normal person. Ron is living life, and he's going to continue to live life, mm. and we're going to support him in that way. We're going to support his life, support his living, and we're going to love on him mm. and do as we can. And love you, brother. Yeah, man. love you, man. Yeah. And all that, of you goodness. Uh, me us with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Ron. We thank you for our brother, Lord. We thank you for his struggle. We thank you for what he's going through. We thank you for his courage. We thank you for his faith. Lord, as a group of men, we stand with you. We walk with you, and we are with you. May we continue to do that on a daily basis, and on an hourly basis, and moment by moment as needed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing to follow. That's right. Thank you, Joe and the guys. Ron, we love you, man. Yes, yes. Amen. And uh, we will continue to pray and walk with Ron through uh, his battle. Morning, gentlemen. Um, this morning, um, I want to offer you a song, and um, I was captured uh, by this song as it's, um, it was unfamiliar to me until Anheuser-Busch decided to destroy their uh, uh, customer base, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And uh, this is uh, Riley Green, um, um, evidently most popular song. I'd never heard of Wiley Green. Uh, and I'd never heard of this song, uh, I Wish Grandpa's Never Died. And I wanted to play the song for you uh, because uh, as we're going through this series on um, the power of a father, you know, we made the point a couple weeks ago that in many ways that if we had the image of our grandfathers projected onto God, it would be a more accurate projection then the struggle that we often have is projecting our fathers onto God. That I believe that in many ways, God is more like a grandfather than he is like a father. That would certainly be true in my own personal experience. Um, my grandfathers were so kind and gentle and loving and caring and forgiving and all the things that my dad just didn't have time to be when he's in his 20s and 30s and trying to uh, pay the bills and make a living and work hard and uh, the anger that he had and, uh, and the distance that he had was uh, understood and I did the same thing with my girls and I think that my girls would say that in many ways their image of God would be better served by understanding Papaw than understanding their dad. So it's it's a dilemma. So I, I wanted to play this song for you, uh, just having some fun with it. Um, let me just um, read just a bit of the, of the words to you. And it's really um, uh, a reflection of, of, a, of a time of innocence um, and that we all wish we could go back to that time of innocence. Listen to Riley Green's uh, song. I wish girls you love never gave back diamond rings. I wish every porch had a swing. Wish kids still learned to say sir and ma'am, how to shake a hand. I wish every state had a Birmingham. I wish everybody knew all the words to mama tried. I wish Monday mornings felt just like Friday nights. And I wish even cars uh, had truck beds and every road was named Copperhead. 
And then here's the line. And coolers never ran out of cold Coors Light. <laughs> now, the original words there, and I've got it marked out, was Bud Light. And in recent days, since Anheuser-Busch uh, decided to destroy their customer base, uh, that he now changes in his concerts from Bud Light to Coors Light, and of course the crowd goes wild. And, and that's where we are in our culture. And, 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 and I think we would agree. It's like where in the wide, wide world of sports have we gotten to in our culture, right? And I wish high school home teams never lost and back road drinking kids never got caught. I wish the price of gas was low and cotton was high. I wish honky-tonks didn't have no closing time. And I wish grandpas never died. May you hear the voice of God through Riley Green.
grandpas never died. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, we uh, continue our series uh, on the power of a father. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. As men in a culture under attack, no doubt about it, we need an understanding of mature masculinity, a vision and direction we can pursue with our sons and daughters. We need tools, methods, and ideas to help us become godly men and from which to equip our sons and our daughters. We need to grow up. We've been using Jacob as our case study, uh, one of the patriarchs uh, of Israel that God has given us. Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, the father of a nation, is a troubling character in the Old Testament. He is conniving, and he is spiritual too. He has moments of strong faith as well as of fear. His family is sometimes in disarray, and yet at the end, he is the one who sets it straight. Jacob, whose very name suggests deceiver, is renamed by God as Israel, one who has struggled with God. And an entire nation is named after this patriarch, the nation of Israel. Jacob is a bit too much like us, with very human strengths and weaknesses, but a man with a striving for spiritual things. From this imperfect man, we learn important lessons of faith, especially we learn about God's grace, time to engage, enjoy the adventure. This morning, we look at the um, piece of our uh, journey and in this adventure in the power of a father with understanding the need for ceremony. A ceremony. Some way of having an acknowledgement of the journey that is behind you that's gotten you to this point and a, a sending for the journey ahead, a ceremony. I mean, you remember that ceremony that you had when you were 13 or that you were 16. Our, our, our Jewish community has bar mitzvahs, right, Marshall? It's a, very, it's a very special time. Bat mitzvahs for the daughters, bar mitzvahs for the boys. You remember yours, right? I think the most ceremonial part of my journey when I think about um, this question is when I was 13 or 14. So I was at the right time for a ceremony. And I've told this story before. And um, I was a Boy Scout, loved being in the Boy Scouts. Um, and if you've ever been connected to the Boy Scouts, you know that... Um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. What, what's the camp out in uh, New Mexico? Philmont. Yeah, Philmont. Uh, Philmont is Boy Scout heaven. And uh, our scoutmaster said, okay, we're going to raise some money, sell cookies or something, and raise a bunch of money. We're going to take a bunch of you to Philmont. So bring your dads to next week's uh, Boy Scout meeting, and we're going to show slides. You know, carousel, that was back in the days of carousels, uh, uh, Jeff, of course. And uh, so, I, so I'm uh, sitting with Dad at the dinner table uh, the next night. I said, Dad, you know, uh, uh, they're going to take us uh, uh, to Philmont, to the Boy Scout camp next summer, and I, I really want to go, and um, I want you to come to the Boy Scout meeting, and they're going to show slides and uh, give us a little bit of an idea of what Philmont's like. And I'll never forget, my dad looked at me and he says, I don't want to go to that Scout meeting. Dad, you got to go. You got to go. 
no, I'm not going. I don't, I don't want to go. You, you go, and I, you know, you go, but I'm not going. So this turns into um, a, a battle, and I regress from a, a tall, skinny 13-year-old to a four-year-old, five-year-old. Still, you know what four- and five-year-olds do when they don't get what they want. My dad gets up from the table to put his plate in the sink, and I'm literally in the floor like one of Steele's uh, babies, and I'm pulling on my daddy's leg, crying and begging him to go to this Boy Scout meeting, and he said, no, I'm not going to go. And gentlemen, something happened inside of me that day. Something died toward my dad that took me 30 years to overcome when I went through a forgiveness um, exercise and a process. But that was a ceremony that shaped my life and I lived with anger and the feeling of being alone. And that was kind of my launching into adulthood. Now gentlemen, that's a ceremony. Would not recommend. But we would not recommend, right, Jeff? And many of us have had those separate, uh, ceremonies, unfortunately. But uh, I've asked Scott Jones, our, our, our good friend, uh, to come and share a little bit. Uh, Scott's uh, got a pretty cool story that he sh shared uh, with me a few weeks ago, and I wanted him to share. So, Scott, introduce yourself, um, if you would, and tell them what you've been up to. Well, as Phil said, I'm Scott Jones, and um, a couple of months ago, I, I got to thinking about um, years ago, my father had a cassette of one of his sisters. He was the next to the youngest of 10 kids, and he had a cassette of one of his sisters telling stories uh, about their family and everything on this cassette. And I thought, well, you know, we can do so much better now. <laughs> and so I mentioned it to my youngest sister. I have a brother and two sisters. I mentioned it to her, and all of them but one of my sisters are here in Ridgeland, that we ought to get my father, who's 91, and we ought to just do a video. And so my sister is a take charge kind of baby sister, and so within a week we had my dad at her house and my sister from Alabama came over and we sat for about an hour and a half uh, talking with my father and that's my stepmother. Uh, it's interesting, my mother died when she was 40 and uh, this is my stepmother and my stepmother's name is June and my mother's name was June <laughs> as well. But we decided we would get both of them in there so we could talk to both of them. And so we talked for about an hour and a half. I told Jeff, this, this, this video is 10 gig uh, on my phone. But we, for an hour and a half, we had it on the tripod. I just wanted to show you just a one minute clip. Uh, I, asked, I had asked him about memories of his dad and mom and this was one of the things that he told. You know, anything, any special event or any just... I, I used to always get a kick out of, you know, we had a, a revival meeting every summer. Had visiting preacher come in and, mm -hmm. and do a revival. And, of course, we'd always have them for lunch. They went to lunch different homes. And, and uh, Daddy would always tell them, you know, Dad, Daddy was a Methodist. He went to Baptist church all his life, but he was a Methodist. And he'd always tell the preachers, now, this is Methodist chicken. <laughs> <laughs> We'd always get a kick out. And they they had no problem. Ask. They had no problem with it though, did they? No. None, none. Chicken was still gone at the end of the meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was gone. Yeah. Oh. So we had an hour and a half of that kind of thing. It was a kind of a stream of consciousness, kind of uh, talking, asking questions, found out a lot of things. I had told him uh, that uh, when we, I told him we wanted to do this, I said, you know, you've got a lot of things in your head that uh, when you're gone, they're gonna be gone. We're not gonna know them. 
And so we spent this hour and a half, and we're going to do another one, Lord willing, to do that just to capture it. Uh, my mother's been gone for 40 years now, and, and I can just vaguely remember what her voice sounded like. But we'll always have this. And so, I, you know, that's kind of a ceremony right there, Phil. And so uh, I, I, I would encourage, I know a lot of you can't do that. It's not possible anymore. Dad's not here anymore. But if you, if you can, I would highly encourage it. That's awesome, Scott. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. So, gentlemen, we need ceremony. Um, a way to, again, um, remember, to send, to commission. You know, I would, I would say in my own life, um, where I got a sense of ceremony that inspired me uh, and I learned to be celebrated and to experience celebration was through sports. Um, and my coaches, uh, my teammates fathered me. And I, in many ways, um, the man that I am today, uh, the growth that I experienced uh, was through uh, sports and the celebration and, and, the, and the victory lap that we would take, so to speak, you know, uh, after a great win. That was my experience of celebration, coupled with the debacled Boy Scout meeting. So here's my question to you this morning. Pick up your pen. I want you to respond to just one question. Do you treasure any ceremonial memories that marked your passage from adolescence to manhood? Do you have any ceremonial memories that marked? And again, in my case, I can give you the negative marks and through sports stories, um, I could tell you uh, great times of learning how to be a man from sports stories, but marked your passage from adolescence to manhood. What comes to your mind? Memories that man that scarred me or it launched me. It scarred me or it launched me. What, what does God bring to your mind? Write it down. And then I want to invite you just to turn to a partner and share your story. What comes to your mind? Make a new friend, make an old friend, share your story. Go.
All right, gentlemen, let's uh, work together. Hopefully you can continue those conversations uh, later. But let's uh, continue. I want to uh, just read you a, a quote by Robert Lewis. Um, again, a resource that I'm using in this series is Raising a Modern Day Night. And relative to ceremony, Robert Lewis says this in his book. And Jeff's got it um, on the screen there. Listen to this. Most men in America today, like a rich, masculine memory, because there are no manhood ceremonies. Instead of lasting impressions, there are no impressions, no powerful internal poetries etched in memory that call to mind our passage to manhood. No indelible moments that shaped our masculine identity and now compel us to pursue authentic manhood. Because many of us are left much like I was with the memory of abandonment, disappointment. And you know what fills that hole when there's a wound like that? What fills that hole? Anger. Anger. And I was one angry man. Now, you would never, you know, my mama taught me to be a nice boy. So I was a nice angry. You know, I was, I was passive aggressive. I was underground. Nobody would ever call Phil Harden angry except Dan the therapist. When I sat in front of Dan the therapist, Dad burn it, or Dad gum it, as Bobby Bowden would say, Dad gum it. And Dan had the audacity when I'm trying to sit there in front of him, paying him to convince him that I'm depressed, and he had the audacity to stop me mid-sentence and tell me that I was angry. Dan's a pretty smart guy. Turn over to Genesis chapter 28. Let's look at Jacob. The father of Israel. Patriarch. The namesake of Israel, Jacob to Israel, the man who struggled with God, then God is such a storyteller. God is a storyteller. Rather than give us the 10 rules to live life by, or the 10 steps to a better life, you know what God does? He gives us about 2,000 years of stories. And he tells this story about a father and the need for a father through this broken man, Jacob. And thank God he has, because I am so encouraged. Because if God can use Jacob as a case study of his redemptive process, there's hope for Phil Harden, and there's hope for you. Now, before we look at Genesis 28, you can, you can just listen to me read this. 
I want to read to you Galatians chapter 6, because in Galatians 6, this is the sow-reap idea. Because what we're getting ready to see in the story of Jacob is this sow-reap principle. The idea of consequences. Galatians 6, and just got it up here on the screen, says this. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, here's what it says in your study Bible. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. And that's the idea of a sow-reap principle. As we sow good things, we will reap good things. But the converse is true as well. When we sow destruction, angrily, dysfunctionally, we will reap that. In other words, there's consequences to our foolishness, to our sin. And I love the last part, again, in your study Bible. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith, to put it in newspaper English, especially those on our team. It's an implicit message right there that you're on a team, that you're living in community. I mean, that's so much of what we are about. We're trying to create a, a community of men that you've got friends, you've got men involved in your lives that are fathering you, that you're being fathered on a peer level, not by your biological dad. So Genesis 28, Jacob is getting ready to experience the sow-reap principle in a profound way. He's just been born again, if you will. Genesis 28 that we read last week was um, his coming to Jesus moment, if you will. Um, he was in a certain place and it became an awesome place because God presented himself to him. Jacob arose uh, from sleep, excited, proclaiming it as an awesome place. He makes this vow to never forget and to actually give a tenth um, to God of everything that he had. And then in verse 29, he starts this journey. And it's so ironic that God gives us this story because the deceiver is getting ready to be deceived. What we might say is what goes around comes around, you know? Now listen to this. Jacob set out again on his way to the people of the east. He noticed a well in an open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered, and the stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered and the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and will water the sheep, then they would return the stone covering the well. And Jacob said, hello, friends, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. And that's exactly where his, his uh, uncle Laban lived. Jacob asked, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? Which he could have said, uncle Laban. I mean, uncle Laban. We do. Are things well with him? Jacob continued, very well, they said. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the flock. And Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, they said, not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with his father's sheep, with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel. Here it comes. Here it comes. Daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep. He went and single-handedly rolled that stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Uncle Laban. That is hilarious. 
I mean, do you see what's happening there? They have to wait for a whole group of guys to move that stone. And all of a sudden, Jacob takes one look at Rachel, and it's like, I got that stone. I'll move that sucker myself. You know, the power of a woman. The power of a woman. It's first cousin. <laughs> oh, and by the way, that's, that's cousin Rachel. You know? You know, now I didn't know until until I started studying this that Jacob is from Tennessee. <laughs> it's just like, you know, Arkansas, you know, whatever. But yeah, first cousin Rachel. So shall we just con uh, uh, continue on and just refer to Rachel as cousin? Cuz? Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. I mean, you know, kissing on the first date, you know? How does that work? He told Rachel that he was related to her father. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nephew. Because that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. And when Laban heard the news, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran out to meet him, embraced and kissed him, and brought him home. And Jacob told Laban the story of everything that had happened. Laban said, your family, my flesh and blood. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a trap, Jacob. You know, you ain't going to like what's getting ready to happen. You know, what goes around comes around. Jacob is a liar. He's a mama's boy. He's a deceiver. I guess, I guess it's all part of the family, right? Uncle Laban, Aunt Rebecca, Mama Rebecca, they're all deceivers. What's this? When Jacob had been uh, with him for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid, what, what's a fair wage. And now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger, and Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I won't take the time to read that. Most of everybody knows this story. You know what happens, right? Now, now it was the, the, the cultural custom that the oldest daughter would be married. You would never allow the younger daughter uh, to be married before the young, uh, oldest uh, daughter. But Jacob made a deal with Laban, and he thought, well, you know, I know Rachel is the younger, and so a fair wage to allow your youngest daughter to go against cultural norms to be married would be a seven-year working debt. And so he does that. What happens after seven years? He gets Leah. And he doesn't realize it until he's already consummated the marriage. You know, I guess they had sex in the dark. <laughs> Something like that. So he, so, so he gets Leah. He doesn't know it. He consummates the marriage. It's done. He's married Leah. And now he's stuck with Leah. But he still loves Rachel. And so Jacob negotiates another seven years. Works for seven years. Now, I love Carla. I mean, you know where I'm headed with this. You know, Carla's dad was kind of a cross between John Wayne and Archie Bunker. Papa Gene. And I just don't know if I could have brought myself to say to Papa Gene, I worked 14 years belling hay out there on that little ranch in Atlanta, Texas. I've got stories about that that some of you have heard. But Jacob worked for 14 years. But he experienced the same kind of deception that he had given. Gentlemen, be careful. Your sins will find you out. God is a gracious, loving, heavenly Father. But He allows our consequences of our sin to be teaching tools in His hand. I want you to look again at just this idea of reaping what you sow. Jacob had a new motivation, of course, to continue on his journey. And God will inspire us. He'll bring us to Himself. We'll go to deer camp, have this incredible experience at deer camp, be fathered by a group of men, have a new motivation. But we come home, 
and we start facing the consequences. The consequences. And if you're really serious about your journey of growth and faith, a lot of times you have to pay for your past sins. Jacob didn't realize what lay ahead for him when he arrived in the vicinity of Haran. Ironically, he would see a replay of his own deceptive practices. This time, he would be the object of another man's manipulation. He was going to reap what he had sown. Guys, don't start walking with God if you're not willing to endure the consequences of your foolishness. It's not that God's punishing us. I don't believe God punishes his children. The word that is used in Scripture is discipline, and the word discipline means to teach. And God doesn't punish us, but he allows consequences to be the teacher. He's grieved by our waywardness, but he's not mad at us. His wrath is taken care of on the cross. So he's not mad at us. He's not bringing judgment on us. But he will allow natural consequence to be a teacher. So here's the reality. Live in reality. Embrace or experience consequences. When we violate the will of God in our lives, we'll always experience the natural consequences of our sins. And, and some of us are going through tough times because of that. Not because God's not uh, involved in our lives and he's checked out and on vacation in Argentina, as a friend of mine used to say. I don't know why, I don't know why it was Argentina. I don't know. You know? No. He's, a, he's teaching us through the consequences. Draw closer to God and treat others differently. As Galatians 6 uh, 10 says, you know, stop being so self-absorbed is how verse 10 could read that we just read in Galatians. And start giving yourself to others even in the midst of your suffering and your learning and growing. Stop uh, such a narcissistic behavior. Dude, I'm telling you, I mean, I love what I do. And I, I don't have any lack of energy. I'm grateful, 70 years old. And, I, you know, I thought I'd be a lot more mature by this time, but I'm not. Uh, but I love where I am. But I tell you what drives me just mad and does make me want to quit is um, narcissism and victims in my office. Drives me crazy. Why does that drive me crazy? Because a narcissist, it's never their fault. And a victim, it's always somebody else that's got all the power. Poor me, poor me. I mean, I want to just say, somebody called the wambulance. You know? It's crazy. We need to increase empathy and a narcissist has none. Again, go back to Galatians 6.10 and that whole idea, again, of, of get, out of, get out of your own uh, space and start helping somebody else, even in the midst of your consequence. There's always somebody that could use your help. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Help somebody else. That will be your treatment. And then finally, this idea of forgiveness. Gentlemen, we, if, if there's one thing about growth that's critical, you have got to be able uh, to be a, a, a forgiver. You're going to be offended. The easiest thing in the world is to walk out your door, put that little chip on your shoulder, and wait for somebody to knock it off. Forgive. 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 I mean, I feel like I offend somebody every day. And they actually pay me to do that. You know? And if you want to get mad at me, knock yourself out. Make sure you leave the check before you leave the office. That's all I got to say.
you know. But truly, in, in all seriousness, gentlemen, forgive. Right now, you've got people that have hurt you, offended you. We all do. You think you're unique? No. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. Give yourself a gift today. Forgive. Forgive. You'll be a lot freer. You know what happens when you don't forgive? You're like, you're like I was in that kitchen floor with Papaw. And it's like he's walking across the floor. I'm 13 years old, and he's dragging me across the floor because I'm latched to his ankle. And what happens when you don't forgive, you're like uh, Papaw was dragging a 13-year-old across the floor. You've got that person, and you're dragging them around everywhere, and you're trying to get away from them. And the only way to release them is forgive them. Forgive them. Otherwise, you carry a weight that you don't need to. Jeff? How did you forgive them? What, what I had to do, uh, Jeff just asked me, those that can't hear, how did I forgive Papaw? I read this when I was 43 years old, been through a lot of therapy myself and was trying to help others. Um, I wrote a letter um, to my dad, told him how much I was hurt by him, and we had a conversation, and uh, he acknowledged his uh, failure to love me, and it was a whole episode of forgiveness. But I had to do the work and whether he would have responded to me or not, I, I had the, uh, the, 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 the privilege, much as Scott was saying, of working it through before he died. Some of us don't have that privilege. But you, you cannot forgive if you don't acknowledge the pain. So I acknowledged the pain rather than just be angry about it and forgave it. So guys, this is what I would say just in closing. And you can flash that last slide. I didn't, I didn't even get to it on the, on the ceremony. Fill in the blanks there. Uh, we need ceremony. And I would, I would say part of what we do at Deer Camp is very much a ceremony. It's, it's, it's a weekend of launching grown men into adulthood. We get fathered in that circle. We get forgiven, we forgive, we learn how to live life relationally. We need ceremony. We need a process of calling us into manhood. <clears throat> the power of Father. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for my brothers. Thank you for our time here. Thank you for the few minutes you give to us to reflect, acknowledge, um, help us to forgive those who have offended us, even if it's our fathers, and help us to love better and, and be less self-absorbed and much, much more uh, attuned to the need of others that we can even uh, be a part of the healing process. Thanks for our time this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.